Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey, it's Michael Kingswood, it's story time, and I am smartening up. (laughs) You'll notice I'm in the same shirt as the last episode because, hey, look at this, I'm actually recording a couple in a row because I'm looking at the next couple weeks and thinking, hmm, self? You might not have time to record next weekend. Why don't you record now? I know, it's something I should have thought about doing a year ago. In fact, to be perfectly honest, I did do that several times a year ago and then since. But I fell off the horse. And that's part of the reason why I got late in delivering these things a few times. Uh, But trying to get better. And since this is the first episode for the new year, we'll just call that the New Year's resolution to not be late anymore. How about that? (laughs) We'll see how well that works. Anyway, so we're going to continue on with the story, The Beast and the God Woman, written by me. And uh, last we left, Carol, the God Woman, had emerged from her hut and taken her magical eat perb thing and screamed and threw it off the cliff. And then she ran out of the uh, ran out of the village, and Kaylee uh, went to follow her. Yili tried to stop her, but Kaylee said something about you know, Carol being her friend, and ran off. And then Shumei, the wisest of the elders, basically told Yili that uh, he needed to take care of business because Carol was becoming unhinged and uh, going to be a threat to the people. And I guess assume. Does that mean take her out? I don't know. Well, I know, but you don't know. So let's go see what happens, shall we? Talk to you again on the flip side. The Beast and the God Woman, written by me and read by me, part four. The two women left little sign of their passing, but Ely did not need any. There was only one place Carola would go and Kaylee would follow her. He ran to the beach, leaping past rocks and boulders along the mountain path and using palm trunks as support to prevent himself from overbalancing as he raced downward. He made it to the beach where he had initially seen Carol and Eric in record time. The women were already there, at the tree line. Kaylee spoke softly, urgently to Carol. The golden-haired godwoman simply stared out at the breakers so far offshore, her eyes filled with longing and with loss. Yili looked at the two of them and wondered why he had ever settled for Kaylee, so dark and withered she seemed, next to Carol's radiance. His brother. Eola had forced him into it. If he had not died, leaving Kaylee without husband, with twins to care for, it was his duty to watch over her and her brother's children. Yili had welcomed the duty. Kaylee was beautiful, far above the other women of the village. All the same, it had been difficult to change his thinking from that of a man alone to a man with family and responsibility. But oh, now that he saw what was possible, how that duty grated on him. Almost as much as knowing that he must remove the source of that possibility, 
She was too much of a threat to the people, wasn't she? Yili shook his head, muttering something unkind about Shumei under his breath. Kaylee and Carol turned in unison, blue and dark brown eyes coming to rest upon him at once, with equal accusation in each pair. What do you say, Yili? asked Kaylee. Her voice was hard. Why was it hard? In a moment of shame, Yili realized he must not have spoken the curse against Shumei as quietly as he thought. He flushed and lowered his eyes, shaking his head. Nothing. I am just relieved to find you both well. Well, it was Carol who spoke this time. Her quick mastery of the language was amazing, but she did not need to speak the language to convey the bitter sarcasm of the single word. Of course, she would not be truly well, after all she had been through. Yili flushed again, embarrassment filling him. He looked up and froze. Behind the women, within the palm forest, not on the beach, a flickering darkness swept through his vision and was gone. Yili stood frozen, dread turning his bowels to water as the realization of their predicament struck him. Shumei was right. The beast was loose. He opened his mouth to scream, to tell them to flee to the safety of the village. But the darkness swept past again, closer this time, stealing the strength from his lungs before he could speak. Yili stumbled backwards, but his heel caught on something and he fell down onto his backside. The impact was mildly painful, but he hardly noticed the ache. He managed to whisper, Run! The women's stern, almost wrathful expressions moderated, becoming merely angry, but also confused. Run! Yili cried again, managing some volume into the warning this time. Carol's face remained confused, but Kaylee's took on an expression of stark terror. She knew well what dwelled on the beach. What the people dreaded would gain a foothold on the island proper and doom them all. She shoved Carol forward, all the strength of her thin arms and wiry torso combining into a shove that was irresistible to the other woman, however powerfully built she may have been. Carol stumbled several steps forward, looking confused, hurt, infuriated. But when she righted herself, she saw, just as Yili saw as the beast's darkness circled around them again. Carol's anger turned to mortal fear, and with barely a moment's glance at Kaylee and him, she turned and fled into the forest. Kaylee watched her depart from her position next to Yili. As the godwoman faded from view, she turned to him, and he could see that regardless of her fear, and it filled her to overflowing, she trusted him to get them out of it. Part of him screamed in agony at the blind, almost rapturous trust she placed in his love, while he lusted after another, an outsider who had only recently come into their midst. She trusted him, so how could he betray her that way? Yili forced a confident smile to his lips. Follow me, he said as he grabbed her hand. Then, turning away from where he had last seen the beast's darkness and praying that it would chase after the godwoman and not them, and gods did his heart burn to pray for such a fate to fall onto Carol's fair form. He ran, pulling Kaylee along behind him. His heart would burn even more before they reached the slope leading to the village. They found Carol crouched behind a tree near the start of the path leading up to the mountain and to the village. At first, Yili could not understand why she did not just continue up the path. At least there would be some safety, some shelter, if nothing else, in the village huts. But then he saw a flicker of darkness further up along the path. The beast had circled ahead. To continue that way would be suicide. He dragged Kaylee to a halt behind a clump of bushes, gripping her hand as tightly as he ever had. What were they going to do? By the gods, Kaylee said softly, between gasps, as she gulped down air. The village? Yili shook his head. He could not know if they were safe or not. He could not worry about it. For now, the village was beyond his ability to care for. Kaylee's face broke, 
and he knew he had made a mistake. He saw tears welling up, and he realized she must have meant he thought the others, their children, were already dead. Cursing himself for a fool, he took hold of her shoulders and turned her, so she looked him in the eye. They are safe, he said, in a fierce whisper, hoping he was not lying to her. But we can't worry about them right now. If we... A rustle of leaves drew his attention, and he saw Carol shifting from the tree she hid behind to one closer to them. But she was making far too much noise. A twig broke under her foot before she reached her goal. A heartbeat later, darkness flickered between the trunks of the trees up in the mountain. It was heading towards Carol. Toward them. Yili waved his hands frantically, gesturing for her to run away. But either she did not understand or she was being bullheaded, because she only paused to take a breath before she left the shelter of her tree and sprinted toward their hiding spot behind the bushes. The streaking darkness of the beast drew her up short in the open. It was coming. Yili saw it clearly, or as clearly as he ever had, and she could not escape. He acted without thinking, standing and throwing himself at the godwoman. Her eyes widened in shocked surprise. Then his shoulder made contact with her belly, and they both fell to the ground. Something, the beast, raced through the space they had just vacated. Yili felt the air stir in its passage. It was both terror and adrenaline that brought the shiver up his spine, but he paid that no mind. They had to keep moving. Yili rolled off Carol and pushed himself to his feet. She did the same, gingerly, but she wore a grateful expression. An improvement, and something that brought a brief smile to his face. Kaylee's shriek drove the smile away. He turned around in time to see the beast's shadow sweep over her, sending her sprawling to the ground in a heap. His heart lurched to see it, then he went cold with terror as he realized the beast was heading straight for him next. He braced himself for the blow, knowing it was futile, that he could not avoid it or survive it. But then, the beast was no longer there. He blinked in confusion. What was going on? The sight of Kaylee's sprawled form drove the question from his mind. He sprang forward to her side, and he had to avert his eyes. The blood. The way her head was twisted around so that her face looked over her back. It was too ghastly to look at. Oh, the poor children. His poor boys. They were too young. There was no way to explain this to them. They were unready for such a blow just as he was not ready for the blow that landed on the back of his neck. Surprised, shocked, and stunned from the sudden explosion of pain, he collapsed to the ground. His vision was a blur of shadows and shapes and flashing stars, but he managed to blink the worst of it away and look up. Carol stood over him, horrified contempt on her face. What was she doing? You, she growled. The last thing he saw was the bottom of her foot as she kicked him in the face. Then it all went black. Pain was Yili's companion as he awoke. Pain in his neck and head where Carol had struck him. But another different pain as well. The muscles in his arms and shoulders burned, as did his wrist. It was confusing until he forced his eyes open. He was in the village, within the hut they had used to house Carol when they first brought her there. But he was given no furs to sleep in. His hands were bound with ropes made of vines and stretched above his head to two of the ceiling corners. He had been asleep standing up, his weight on the ropes. No wonder his arms and shoulders hurt, and his wrists. The confusion only grew stronger. Why was he tied like this? What was going on? Sunlight streamed in the hut's entrance. Not too much time had passed. There would probably be a guard outside. He had to warn whoever it was. The village had to prepare in case the beast returned. Before he could say anything, a figure stepped into the entrance, blocking out the sun. It paused for a short time, considering him, he thought, then moved within. 
As it left the sun's glare, Yili could make out its features more clearly. Shumei. The old woman stood still, silent, looking at Yili as though someone she had never seen before. More than the vines binding his arms, her stare made him uncomfortable. Fearful, even. Finally, he could bear it no more. What are you doing to me? He said, his tone harsh, more harsh than he intended, than he had ever dreamed he would be able to use against the wisest. Shumei's lips compressed slightly, as good as a scowl from another person, but she did not answer. She merely watched him, her eyes narrowed. He got the impression she was trying to stare right through him. Let me go! Why was she doing this? Shumei, the beast! Silence! She spoke quietly, but then she always did. But her tone carried an edge or command that screamed in its intensity. In spite of himself, Yili found his jaws snapping shut, the clack of his teeth meeting seeming to echo in his head. Shumei stepped forward, stopping within arm's length of him. She had to crane her neck to look up into his eyes, but she nevertheless seemed to be looking down at him from the heights. Never in my lifetime has the beast actually taken anyone, Shumei said in a near whisper, until Yola, and then the godman, Eric. She paused, her stare, if possible, growing more intense before she added, and now, Kaylee. Yili had almost forgotten Kaylee's fate, so focused was he on his predicament. His heart lurched to remember, but not with hopeless pain, as he just a year ago imagined it would have had he lost her. It was more like a faint regret. Shumei sniffed. You are as unfazed now as you were with Yola's passing. I thought then you were being strong for his widow and children. Now I am not so sure. What are you saying? Instead of replying immediately, Shumei turned away from him and took a step toward the hut's entrance. She drew a deep breath. You were very quick to marry Kaylee after Yola died. She was making a statement, but Yili could hear the question behind her words. It was the right thing to do. The twins, you never had feelings for her before then? You never wished she had married you and not your brother? Yili recoiled. As far as he could, anyway. Yes, he had wanted Kaylee. Wanted her more than any other woman in the village. But she had only ever had eyes for Yola. And who was he to get between her and her his brother? What boy did that matter? Shumei waited in silence for his answer. When he did not reply, she turned back to him, an eyebrow cocking upward, knowingly. I thought so. Her eyes flickered from his face to his hands where they were bound, as though assuring herself that he was secured. The godwoman is beautiful, she said, looking back into his eyes. The change in topic confused him. Where was she going with this? Everyone has seen you staring at her, watching her. You always are there to do things for her. I found her. It was a duty, Shumei nodded, and I agreed with it, as did your wife. But in the last few days, even she began to wonder. Wonder? Wonder what? That he would be unfaithful? Never. He opened his mouth to protest, but Shumei beat him to it. What happened to the godman, Eric? What? I told you. The beast. Shumei made a dismissive gesture. Yes, the beast. You said. A being of darkness that never truly shows itself, and only you have ever seen it. And that, within the memories of everyone in the village, has only ever taken someone who had something, or someone, that you wanted for yourself. It was like falling from a tree and landing on his back. Yili felt as though the breath had been forced from his lungs, despite the fact that he had not been struck. So strong was the impact of Shumei's words.
You cannot mean. Shumei held up one finger. You wanted Kaylee, but she was married to Yola. Yola is dead. The second finger. You became enamored with the godwoman, but she was with Eric. They were strangers to everyone. Eric is dead. A third finger. She became more appealing to you than your wife. Your wife is dead, and you seem not to mourn at all. Shumei closed her fingers into a fist. The pattern is clear, Yili. That is crazy. The beast. It killed Eric on the beach. It followed us through the woods and killed Kaylee. It's loose. If it comes to the village... Shumei made a soft tisking sound. Ah, but it is already here. Her index finger extended, pointing at Yili. A chill of fear, somehow greater than the fear he had felt when facing down the beast on the beach and in the woods, crawled down Yili's spine. He shook his head in denial. The godwoman, Carol. Shumei sniffed, then continued. Carol has become rather skilled with the language, Yili. She told us what she saw. The fear faded a bit, replaced by a sudden hope. If Carol could tell it well, everything would be all right. Shumei and the other elders would see the danger and release him so he could help defend the village. Somehow. But, but wait, why did, why do you trust what she says? You told me she was unstable, a threat. Now Shumei looks surprised. Shocked. I told you to watch her, Yili. No, no, just today, when Kaylee followed her into the woods, you told me, These are the first words I have spoken with you today, Yili. The other elders and I climbed a peak early this morning to commune. Well, that was impossible. Who had he spoken with then? Would you like to hear what Carol saw? Yili nodded, unable to fully process what was being said. It made no sense. Kaylee had just accused her of cavorting with you when you found them. You were frothing with rage and made no sense. You kept babbling about the beast, as you had on the beach. She grew afraid and ran. Later, near the path up the mountain, she saw you holding Kaylee down behind a bush. She looked terrified, so Carol decided to help her. Shumei's voice turned cold, and her eyes seemed to glow with an inner light. Indignation, maybe. You saw her coming and knocked her down, and then brought the stone down on Kaylee's head. What? No, 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 the beast. It was coming for us, and I, I saved Carol's life. Shumei just looked at him, condemnation in her eyes. How can you take her word over mine? You don't even trust her. Shumei made the sign that invoked the gods and inclined her head slightly, her eyes never leaving his. When we spoke at the funeral site, what did I tell you? Yili frowned and tried to remember. The days, weeks, since then were a blur. It was difficult to recall. And that was odd. He had always had a good memory. He felt sweat beating on his brow, not just from the day's heat. You, he could not recall. What had she, ah, you said that she and Eric had been sent by the gods and that the beast may try to thwart them, that I should watch in case she became a threat to us. Shumei's eyebrow quirked upward. I do not recall thinking she may become a threat, let alone saying it. She drew a deep breath and crossed her arms over her chest in the manner the elders did during the prayer to ward off evil. I said she might bring danger to us because of the things the beast might do in his battle against her and Eric. I wish that I had not been right. She sighed, shaking her head ruefully. Or that I had seen the truth of the beast's plotting sooner. If I had, all this may have been avoided. 
She saw the question in Yili's eyes before he could voice it. Accusation. No, contempt in her eyes. She spoke again, clarifying. You are the beast, Yili. You. With that, Shumei turned and left the hut. Yili shouted after her, denying her words, denying the accusation, but no answer came back in response. Yili lost count of the number of days he remained there, tied within the hut. From time to time, one of the village women would come in, bringing water or some food, or to clean up his mess, though that was less frequent. And, of course, the sun rose, and it set. All the while, he expected to perish at any moment, because surely the beast would come to the village, seeking Carol. Surely it would not cease its designs, and they would all pay in blood. But that never happened. Once, he thought he saw the flickering darkness they had come to recognize as the beast's presence. It happened during one of his feedings. He thought sure Sala was going to be the first of many to die. He fought against the vines binding him, desperate to free himself so he could try to defend her and the others. He fought so hard that she fled, shrieking in fear. But the darkness never reappeared. Even when two of the village men came in and thrashed him for, as they said, scaring poor Sala, and never mind that he saw her in danger and it was trying to help, the darkness never came back. Through the pain of his chastisement, Yili nevertheless said a prayer of thanks that the village had been spared, somehow. And yet, all those countless days passed without incident, except that he became ever weaker, despite the food he was fed. It got to the point where he could barely raise his head to eat and drink. His shoulders and arms had long since gone through agony into numbness, and he seriously doubted he would be able to move them for a long time once he was released, assuming he ever was. And it seemed he never would be. Yili's days became a blur of discomfort and despair, his nights a terrifying return to memory and fear dreams brought on by his uncertainty and the accusations against him. Or at least, that was what he told himself. In his dreams, he killed Yola himself, breaking his brother's knees with a rock and then roasting him alive over a pit of coals that he had prepared for that very purpose. He broke Eric's ankles using a heavy stick he had brought with him from the beach. Then he bludgeoned the godman to death with the stick and buried him in the sand before dragging his woman off the beach. And Kaylee... The dreams of Kaylee were the worst. Her looking up at him with trusting eyes, believing him when he told her the beast was coming the faith in him only fading finally when he raised the rock against her. Always he woke with a shout of denial, and then he cursed Shumei, cursed Carol, cursed all of them for making these false accusations against him, and worse, for making him doubt himself, making him begin to think that maybe they were correct, and he really was the monster that they claimed. No answer came, and no visitors save those who tended to him, and they said nothing. Until finally, it all changed. Not long after he awoke, he could only guess how many mornings after he had been imprisoned there, three men entered the tent. Two of them went to his hands and began working the vines that held them up, while the third stood before him, a scowl on his face. Yili knew all three men, of course. He had grown up with two of them and been mentored by the third, but for whatever reason, though he knew their faces, he could not recall their names. It was as though they had become strangers to him, as he had seemingly become to them. The vines loosened, then released completely, and he slumped to his knees. Only the men's quick action to catch him prevented him from falling all the way to the ground. They boosted him up, one on each shoulder, and shifted around for a moment until they had him in a comfortable position. Comfortable for them, at least. 
It struck Neely that he could escape rather easily, since they had made no move to tie him up again. They simply draped his arms across their shoulders. But he found he could not move his arms at all, as he had feared would be the case. There was no need for them to bind him again. Of course, they had known it before he did. The third man, the older one and the one in charge, nodded and said gruffly, Bring him. They began a long trek down the mountain. Not long in the sense that it was any great distance, he had made the journey many times in the past. But never had he been so weak, so helpless, so crippled during the walk down the path. And even with the other two men's support, it seemed to take forever. At the base of the mountain, they surprised Yili by turning left, away from the beach the people most often visited, the beach where Yili had met Eric and Carol. Instead, they circled around the mountain to the leeward side of the island, where the shore was more rock than sand, and the breeze hardly ever blew, except during the rainy season. Finally, after a longer walk than Yili imagined possible, given how short a distance it really was, they arrived at a small cove, flanked on one side by outcropping rocks, and on the other by a spur of sand that contained a few hardy palm trees and little else. The cove was familiar. Yili had come here with Kaylee and the children many times before to watch the sunset. At the outset of the rainy season, all the people gathered there for the feast to welcome the changing of the winds. Indeed, Yili was surprised to note the winds were coming from the south, blowing past the outcrop of sand and creating a steady chop in the water. Had he been in that hut so long that the seasons had turned without his noticing? Impossible, and yet the winds said otherwise. All the people of the village were gathered in a loose arc at the cove's central beach. The arc opened to admit him and his escorts, guards, and Yili found yet another surprise waiting for him. At the water's edge was the strangest thing he had ever seen. Resembling the wall of a hut, it was a collection of logs that were lashed together with vines, but it lay flat just above the sand, supported by three larger logs beneath the wall itself. From the center of the flat wall, a single larger log stood straight up. Vines were tied from the corners of the flat wall to the top of the erect log, holding it in place. Ely blinked, unable to comprehend what this thing was. But whatever its purpose, the three men guiding him dragged him toward it. That meant it could not be good. Ely tried to fight against them, but they were much stronger than he, and the battle was over before it was fought. Before long, he stood, or was held, in front of the strange thing. Shumei's voice drew his attention to the side, where she stood along with the rest of the elders. This is a day we have spoken of for some time now, and though we disagreed at first, I believe now we all agree this is how it must be if we are to purge the beast from our midst while remaining pure ourselves. Shumei's eyes swept the crowd and Yili followed with his own gaze. He saw no sign of dissent. If anything, he saw admiration and agreement when people looked at Shumei. When they looked at him... Only condemnation, derision, and beneath it, fear. Yili, Shumei went on. He looked at her, giving her his full attention. <laughs> Why not? Many here thought you should be put to death for your crimes, but we decided your fate shall be decided by the gods. By the gods? How would the gods? And then Shumei answered his own question. Carol is building a thing. She calls it a raft to bring her back to her lands. We have been assisting her, and it was from learning what she has taught that we built this for you. She gestured toward the strange thing at the edge of the water. What was it she called it? A raft? Yili looked incredulously at the thing. 
How is it supposed to interface with the gods? Again, Shumei answered him, Here the breakers are the weakest on the island. Here Carol will depart in two weeks' time, and here you will depart today. Two men broke off from the crowd and carried objects to the raft. Coconuts, smoked meat from boars, a blanket made from board side, water skins, several of them. They set those things on the raft and tied them in place to the erect log using vines that were laid out for that purpose. If Yili had felt despair before, it was but a shadow compared to what he felt now. They could not be serious. He opened his mouth to appeal, but all that came out was a croak. Shumei spoke again. You have food and water for a week. Two, if you are careful. Carol says it is possible you may find aid in that time from other god people who ride on the waves. She crossed her arms over her chest, and the other elders followed suit. If it is the god's will that you live, that your punishment has been sufficient, you will. If not, she left the rest unsaid. This could not be happening. The two men holding him up moved forward and dumped him onto the thing, the raft. The logs were rough, and he felt several stabs as protrusions from the bark dug into his exposed skin. He tried to push himself up, to push himself off the thing, but he could not move, only squirm ineffectually. He felt the raft begin to move under him, and he turned his head. Half a dozen men were pushing it off the beach and into the water. No, how could they do this? Man was forbidden the sea. But they did not think he was a man anymore, did they? A rustling from behind him now drew his attention. He looked up and saw a single man standing on the raft with him. He was hoisting away on a vine that was tied to the top of the erect log. As he pulled, a triangular shape unfurled from the other side of the raft. It took Yili a moment to realize it was a collection of boar hides that had been sewn together, like a woman's blouse, except larger. What was it for? The man, Torem his name was, finished hoisting and tied the vine off, then dropped the loose end. Then he jumped off the raft, landing thigh-high in the water. Was he already that far away from the beach? Yili was going to turn around and look, but then the triangle made a whoomp and filled with the wind that was blowing from the south. Almost immediately, the raft began moving faster toward the breakers. What a wonder was that! From behind, far behind it seemed, Yili heard Shimei's voice once again. May the gods watch over you and guide you to your fate. He glanced back and his stomach lurched to see how far away he was from the beach now. Fifty paces? Seventy-five? The breakers were closer now, their continuous surf growing ever louder. Yili forced his hands to grab onto the vines holding the raft together. Perhaps he would not be thrown off. He did not want to be thrown off. He could not pull himself through the water the way Eric had. He shuddered to think of drowning. He looked back at the beach again. The people remained there watching him drift away. No one moved to assist to try to bring him back. Then, behind them, he saw something. A flickering blackness. The beast. It had come finally. Despite his dread, his heart leapt. They would see it. See that they were wrong about him. They would come and rescue him before it was too late. How? said a voice in his head. He refused to listen to it. The blackness danced across the beach to the people's left, but they paid it no heed. Yili tried to call out to them, but again only a crook came forth. Then water covered him. The breakers! He held on to the vine, terror giving him strength he did not realize he could muster. Again a wave hit, and again, but somehow he kept his grip. And then the breakers were behind him. The raft was still afloat, the boarhide triangle still intact, and he was still making progress away from the beach. Away from the island.
The blackness flashed through the people now, but none of them moved. No one cried out or even seemed to notice. It streaked over the water, crossing the lagoon and the breakers. Oh, gods, the beast was coming for him. It was the gods' punishment personified, or perhaps their mercy. A quick death instead of starvation or dying of thirst. Yili found that was little comfort. The blackness swept closer, and Yili cringed away, bracing himself for the blow he knew was to come. He closed his eyes, not wanting to see, but the blow never came. After a moment, he slowly opened his eyes again. There, sitting on the raft beside him, was a man, except that he was a man made from the blackest of darkness. And yet somehow, Yili could make out features beginning to form from within that blackness. Gradually, the man's face became clear, and Yili's bowels turned to water. He knew that face. He had seen it countless times when he looked into the water of the drinking pool. The face was his own. He screamed then, a scream of denial, of despair, of acknowledgement. And the beast, the darkness within him, his only companion left in the world, smiled at him as they sailed away to meet their fate together on the waves of the sea. Okay, so that's the story. Uh, This final episode was longer than I kind of wanted it to be, but it seemed like leaving it in the middle somewhere there just wasn't going to work. The the way I broke the scenes up, uh, the first two were shorter, and the middle one was longer, and the last one was longest, and there's really no way to make it shorter without being stupid. So, apologize for a little bit longer episode. Hope you don't mind. Seems to me most people won't. Um, but yeah, that's the story. A um, couple things about it. Uh, you may or may not have figured out uh, some of what I was doing here. Um, clearly, there's some inspiration from Lost, right? With the, the island and the not not a shadowy creature, the smoke creature, but you know the black black thing rooming around. And yeah, you know, of course, I didn't realize it until I. After I wrote it, oh yeah, that sort of <laughs> comes a little bit of inspiration from Lost there, but uh, clearly they like, like Carol and Eric uh, were sailing around on their sailboat and hit the breakers. And uh, if you guys haven't been on ships or on the cruising sailboats before, an EPIRB is a emergency location beacon. It's actually a GPS has a GPS receiver on it and will send a satellite signal. Uh, to the authorities if your ship uh, sinks or runs aground or something. A lot of them have automatic uh, activation features. Um, If they get wetted, there's ways to do that. Or you just take it with you and turn it on, depending on the model you've got. And it sends out a satellite signal with a GPS broadcast uh, so that people can come rescue. Now, in Carol's case, uh, she went and found it. But you probably figured out it, it wasn't working, which is why she got pissed off and despairing and threw it off the cliff. Um, uh, between that and the whole reference with Armstrong, who went to the moon and came back as a god, I, I kind of tweaked Neil Armstrong's name a little bit, and I meant those as little breadcrumbs to that in the description of the sailboat itself, as little breadcrumbs to show that, yeah, this actually is happening on Earth. Uh, just... Uh, isolated island someplace that somehow has a magical spiritual creature going around except it's not really it's just a psychopath who it's all in his head there you go
that's uh that's the secret uh you can tell me how well i pulled that off uh like, like i said i wrote this back in 2013 i want to say 2014 i think it was 13 i gotta double check but anyway um it's been a, since that long ago was when i had last time i read it and uh looking through it a couple times i think i lost the bubble in actually i found out that i lost the bubble in the timeline time frame of what was happening midway through reading part of the last episode so i went retroactively tweaked a couple of things and fixed it um but aside from that eh, i think it's so all right of course i wrote it so i have to like it you tell me what you think though uh go to michaelkingswood.com and uh pick Drop me a line, leave a comment here on the podcast or video, go by Facebook. <laughs> when I go back on there next in a week or two, maybe I'll see your comment and, and I'll certainly respond to it. Um, yeah, tell me what you think. And by all means, spread the word, tell everybody about the cool stories I'm doing, and go buy some. Um, I just want to let you guys know, uh, speaking of buying stories... If you liked my book, Glimmervale, which I did the podcast of, geez, several months ago now, um, and you haven't picked it up yet, then I have a sale on it. Uh, there's a interesting thing that goes on in the indie world. There's a bunch of ways to promote your books. One of them is all these various sites that have newsletters that they send out to people that like to read. And the biggest, and tell people about deals, and the biggest one is one called BookBub. And I'm trying to get this BookBub thing forever. And failed completely, but I got the new got the new cover for Glimmer Vale, which I showed you a couple episodes ago. I redid the sales blurb and submitted it to them, and they said, "Oh yeah, yeah, come on, go, we'll hook you up now." Uh, so they're gonna be sp spreading the word on that. Uh, their subscribers on the international side, not the U.S. side uh, this time, but they said try back, come back in a month or so. They'll have an opening for U.S. So cool. Um, so I put down a whole bunch of. Uh, other promotional things going on at the same time to try to stack stuff and get a real impact on the market and consequently the second half of january uh it's going to be the ebooks can be lowered from its normal price of around 4.99 down to 99 cents so that uh very little i mean you can't you can barely get a pack of gum for that anymore so if you haven't picked it up now yet uh, starting January 13th through the end of the month, more or less, is the time to do it. And I'll let everybody know when things officially get going on there, too. Right. So that's all I got. Um, yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Let me know. Uh, otherwise, come back next week. In the meantime, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mailing list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>